audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Jeffrey Ritzman. I'm not singing your name. Jeffrey Ritzman. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm all right. You're just okay? You're not uh, spectacular. It's very warm here. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Very humid. Y- yes. I'm, I'm swimming in the guitar room right now. <laughs> um, Paratopia, Hi. <laughs> Hi there, guys. How are you? God damn, it's good to see y'all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this week's episode is topical. How so, you may ask? Well, if you remember, last weekend everyone was raptured and sent to heaven or hell. Right. We're yeah. demons. <sighs> <laughs> You're now living in your demon hell. And Jeremy's a pirate. Yeah. Never mind. What? What? Um, and I've been reading um, this book called The Guru Papers. It's something... I found a number of years ago, and then I forgot I owned it, and then I dug it up, and now I'm reading it. Hmm. Um, and it's all about the authoritarian structure of cults and cult leaders and gurus and people of messianic complexes and all of that. Hmm. Um, so basically, it's a how-to for my future. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. And so uh, it, it happens that my friend and neighbor, Taylor Galloway... Um, we we could call her the survivor of a cult, but I don't know that that's true. She is the survivor of a cult mentality. Um, so I wanted to talk to her um, a while back, and now it, it seems like it's probably the right time. So uh, so we'll we'll get to get into her story um, shortly. I'll tell you why it's the right time. Go ahead. Taylor's really cute. Oh you, oh you. I'm a happily married man. A papily married man? Yeah. Nice. Uh, by the way, listeners, for those of you who are actually listening when this show comes out, I will be on Dreamland with Whitley Streber Saturday, and I think that show remains free for the entire week. Um, and then it gets bumped to the subscriber section, but I will also have a subscriber-only show uh, with Whitley 
Um, in the free show, we talk about my book, Urgency, now available on the Kindle, on the Nook, and in paperback. Actually, most of it is available right now. If you go to his site, in the upcoming show, there's a player. And if you click that player, I think there's a pretty decent amount of show on there. Oh, is that right? That's correct. I listened to some of it today. How was I? I turned it off. Frankly, I can't stand the noise. <laughs> and for the subscribers, we talk about the whole Hopkins-Jacobs mess. Um, oh, boy, more of that. So wow. that's fun. <laughs> yeah, don't, please, don't, don't oversell it, Jeff. <laughs> I won't. Have some more. So if you want to hear uh, me and the wit go down that road, that'll cost you a mere three ninety five, which is actually worth it because I was in his subscriber section yesterday to listen to my show and I was perusing around in there and apparently he had a really huge new experience which will be in his, I think, in his book in 2012, whenever that comes out sometime in 2012, uh, like the sequel to Communion or, or whatever. Mm. So come for the uh, Jeremy Whitley discussion, stay for the Whitley discussion. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd just like to uh, do a shout out here to uh, to Whitley, who was kind enough to put our auction for the communion bughead, uh, half of which is going to uh, Dennis McKenna for his Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss project, which is rounding its last days, I think, uh, and it's it's doing quite well, but I don't think it's where it should be. So I'm trying to pull out the last stop here and uh, essentially auction something that I've had for. A really long time from the collection of Forrest Ackerman, the legendary prop collector and uh, and and horror guru. Um, I, I own the 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 end sequence alien face that essentially Christopher Walken says, "Jeremy, what's he say at the end? Say it. What do I call a book about you? That's correct. And that face that floats up to him is right now in my closet." Uh, where he's very safe, dry, and rather warm right now. But the bug head is seen uh, in the bus scene where he says, You're all in for a big surprise. A very big surprise. It's an ambush. <laughs> and uh, and that bug head, uh, while no longer a wearable mask, because after all, folks, latex turns to petrified wood at a certain stage. Uh, it gets very hard. and um, But it's... Um, it's in decent shape for for what it is, and um, and it's a piece of uh, of that film that um, pretty much changed the way we all look at this stuff. So uh, that is up for auction. It will end Sunday. So when you're hearing this, that coming Sunday, uh, it will be ending. And so um, if you're interested, please get on there and bid on eBay. The link is on our homepage, right underneath the big bug head graphic. And many thanks for Whitley promoting that for me on the bottom of his page uh, with you. Yields. Um, so should we talk a little bit about uh, the Peniston ordeal of last week? Well, why don't we talk about the rapture a little bit? Because <laughs> <laughs> really, uh, the same thing, really. I got to say, I'm pretty, I, feel, <laughs> I got to say, I'm pretty, pretty feeling pretty good about the rapture. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if, if you caught it, Jeremy, but uh, they did catch up with the, the gentleman responsible for this, I don't know, ridiculousness mm-hmm. uh, at his home to which he shook his gnarled small hand and said, no, no more. I need time to 
No, not right now. No interviews. Thank you. I need time so, to fall asleep on my millions of dollars. Right. Yeah, my mattress is stuffed to capacity. <laughs> um, see, this is what I wonder about this kind of thing. Like a while back in ufology, we had this uh, goofy-ass woman saying that what, there was going to be a mass landing or something. Wasn't that how it was going to work? And this was touted for weeks and weeks uh, above top secret. This was like one of the top-rated threads. And, of course, the day came and went, and guess what? No one showed up. This woman pretty much just blew it off and kind of I don't know, faded away out of the scene, I guess, to a certain degree. Maybe she's still around. I don't keep track of her. But what happens when a guy like this spends millions of dollars on billboards all over the world? I mean, they showed these online. I mean, it's the first time, and I, I got to say, it kind of sickened me in a way, to see how much media attention this actually got. I mean, that in itself to me is somewhat disturbing. But what does this guy do now? I'll tell you what he does. Well, the thing that just happened, that was a spiritual thing. That had nothing to do with the end of the world. Now, the end of the world's coming in October. But we won't be doing billboards and all that radio stuff for this one. I bet you won't. <laughs> I bet you won't. So. Well, yeah, Saturday was just the semifinal round. Right. Uh, and then Simon Cowell judges you, and then in October you're you're kicked off the island. Isn't that how it works? I think so. You dog, you're right on. <laughs> Apocalypse. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the, the, here bears the question to me, and you know, I don't know if Taylor have any insight on this or not, but what what does this man do? For I mean, his name is Mud, pretty much, right? I mean, even by some of his followers, isn't his name Mud by now? Uh, you would think that, except, um, here's the thing, uh, my friend Laura, she was in Times Square before this happened, mm -hmm. and she was given a pamphlet, and the pamphlet said, you know, Rapture Saturday, <laughs> <laughs> and raffle, or whatever. And raffle. I mean, yeah. it had the date of, uh, whatever it was, the 21st, is that what it was? Yeah, Rapture and Chicken Dinner, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then... The same people, um, just a couple of days ago, she was there, and they gave her the same pamphlets, the same information, except without a date. Oh. Huh. <laughs> to which she naturally asked, so what happened to the date? I mean, no, 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 this already happened, and, and nothing happened. So, so why are you giving me this now? And then, of course, it's the spiel about, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. The rapture is still going to come, and you still need to save your soul, and blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. So they, not unlike <laughs> Eric from our message board, talking oh, hi, about Eric. Jim Penniston, yeah. just ignores all of the evidence and all of that is right in front of them, and they just continue to go on you know, their merry way in belief. Mm. Well, I saw one disturbing thing where a mother had uh, cut – two of her daughter's throats and tried to kill herself, I think, uh, in response to this whole hype. So, you know, there's something that can hang over the old pops' head when he talks about the rapture next time is that at least one family was drastically affected and someone's now locked up and two children were hurt. So, I mean, this is the kind of bullshit that, you know, to me, it's like this man, I mean, and this is, again, strictly my opinion, uh, should be locked up. 
I'm sorry. I, I realize freedom of speech is, is a privilege in this country and a right, but you know what? When you start saying things that then in turn excites people or incites people to such a degree that where they're trying to slit the throats of their own children, something's not right about what you're saying and you, you, you ought to be held accountable in some goddamn way. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, you should at least give your money back. I well, mean, yeah. There should be yeah, yeah, there should be some accountability. I don't know what that should be because I mean, really um I don't know that he should be ac- held accountable for the repressed suicidal impulses right of yeah, his flock yeah. for the simple fact that he may have them too. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. unless you can prove that that he is also a fraud and is just preying upon these people, which is probably the case, who knows. I don't know. He doesn't strike me as – it strikes me as he actually believes it. <laughs> I mean well, I got to say. I mean say. so then if he actually believes it, then he's not praying – he's not willingly, you know, knowingly preying upon people who are repressing a su- suicidal impulse. He's he's probably yeah. one of them. But <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that. I mean just kill yourself if you're going to kill yourself. Um, but don't take your kids with you. Or better yet, get therapy. <laughs> yeah, that, there's the better – there's the better answer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know, For in some way, for such shenanigans, somebody needs to be held accountable, you know? I but mean, what that's is this it. feeling, what is this about where we need to be judged, you know? <laughs> we need to be judged. I don't even know if it's so much of that as our thirst for oblivion. I think it's more that than anything else. Um, well, but they don't thirst for oblivion, they, have, they thirst for this happy afterlife uh, of, a, you know, this eternal bliss. Well, they still want to die and go to heaven. I mean, rather than stay here, which I guess, if you believe that, it you know is not such a, a horrible desire, I guess. But uh, uh, to, I mean, to me, it just kind of um, it just kind of reeks of people are sick of leading the lives that they live, and they want so desperately to escape from that that they'll believe damn near anything. I mean, let's face it. There's people in ufology who believe the mass landings are probably going to happen next week or something, and they're waiting. And you know, I don't think they're quitting their jobs and selling their homes and giving up all their money like these, some of these people did. Well, but, yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, they, they keep, there's the other they thing. Keep moving the, the goalpost too. You know, I was just talking to Tim Benall, and he was saying, uh, you know, exopolitics. It's like that long, really long joke that's kind of funny to begin with, and then it gets annoying. It's like, all right, enough. Just end it. And mm-hmm. then it goes on for so long that it's funny again. And you yeah. said they're back to the funny again stage. You know, Alfred Weber is now releasing another, you know, he's going to be giving a talk, I think it is, on, um, you know, aliens and Obama, that, you know, the false flag uh, disclosure mm-hmm. that's going to demonize the friendly aliens. You know, Obama's going to be behind this. I mean, <laughs> just where do you come up with this stuff? How do you write this with a straight face? How do you disseminate it with a straight face and and who the hell is paying attention to it with a straight face yeah i don't know and what is it what is it just getting back to this oblivion thing i mean what is it about us where we want to uh to die now like you're gonna die i mean that's a given (laughs) right that's all life that's all all we know in life is death yeah um so you can't wait and time feels like it's speeding up. So, you know, it's not like you've got long. It's not even going to feel long, you know, yeah. 40, 50 yeah. years. And then from now, I mean, from now, well, not from when, not I from hope when you're it's, a baby. Oh, from now. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't scare me there. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know what the... I, I don't know what the this this uh, well the obsession with death and the uh, and the state of the world today I guess um, everybody wants better you know it's just one of those things where you either take the reins and do something with your life and and get on with it and make the best of it or you give up and you hope for some kind of savior like an alien or a god or whatever that might be I mean and this is not to say that I don't believe in God that you know, I don't mean to couch it that way but. Um. Yeah, it's it's just like you, you're looking for something, and what you're looking for to me, I, I mean, I mean, maybe oblivion. Maybe I overstate that. It's the oblivion of our current lifestyle and the oblivion of of the, of the life that we know and the world we know, because that's really the reason we want aliens to come, right? Because they're going to help us out with all our problems. Well, that's just it. Uh, you don't when you want suicide or when you want the the alien or the god to come down and wipe everything away. It's not as though you want to kill the organism. It's that no. you. It's what we've been talking about forever on this show, or at least I have, which is uh, the death of self. I mean, you want your identity uh, dead. <laughs> you want something else. You want something new. Mm-hmm. So change it. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that power is within you to do. So I don't understand this need for something else. I, I mean, I guess I get I get it in the sense that um, when you take a look at the giant political landscape and the the rise of natural disasters and all that fun stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It does seem like a pressure cooker. And so you want something to come and change it because you're helpless to, to change it. Um, but I think then what's helpful is to change you in the situation, you know? I mean, yeah. if, if you can grow up in an immature situation, then you can have a completely different outlook about the kids around you, even if the kids are the jail keepers and, and you're the prisoner. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like there, right. there's a different sort of context takes place mm-hmm. um, where you have compassion, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you've always got to maintain a sense of hope about everything. I mean, maybe I'm just the eternal optimist when it comes to that. But, you know, I got a kid graduating next Tuesday, walking across the stage to get his diploma. And I think about, you know, well, you know. What kind of world is he walking into to try and make a living and, and build a life and have a family and all that sort of thing? And, you know, the answer to that is it's tough. You know, it's it's tougher than even when you and I were getting out of high school. I, but I think you've got to, you know, it's just I, I guess to some degree, at least when it comes to life and work and all of that, you know, it's like pull the bootstraps and get on with it. You know, it's like quit focusing on everything around you that's so incredibly negative. That's just the way I kind of, you know, don't worry about stuff all the time. Maybe that's, a, you know, putting the blinders on and just plowing through, but that's the way I was brought well, up. Well, it's just you do what you got to do. I mean, it's, you know, the Kogi came here, finally, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I think they just left. And so here are these people who whose whole culture revolves around such a deep spirituality that the kids who are chosen to become mamas. <laughs> their spiritual leaders are locked away in a in a dark place for at least the first nine years of their lives, and the world is described to them. I mean, just imagine what that does to you. Um, so these are not people to be messed with spiritually. You know, these are <laughs> these are people who go into the Aluna, right? Which is this sort of um, ether world internet system. I, I don't know what it is. 
it's like, I don't know if anyone owns a Nintendo Wii where you have like the, the me parade <laughs> where you can build your little me and send it off. And then people from around the world can build their little me characters and you can watch them parade across your TV screen. Hmm. Eh, that little subspace. That's kind of like what they do, except, uh, except instead of on TV, uh, they're doing it uh, in some sort of meditative out of body context. Hmm. Um, so these people are losing their culture and uh, to basically the Colombian government and to tourism and to you know drives to take away their their homeland. Uh, so they come here because we seem to express uh, an interest in helping them. Some people who they would refer to as little brother. Everyone who is not them is basically little brother. Mm-hmm. So these people believe that they are caretakers of the world and little brothers messing it all up and they come here for help because at least some little brothers want to help and sisters and they get here, they're in upstate New York and they see all of the new age fruitcakes that have come because they've come to hear these people speak and they've paid good money. <laughs> so you can already see where this dilemma is going. Right. You know, they didn't talk enough. They didn't say enough. They didn't, you know. All of that for these people, for these people who are supposedly here to help. So imagine being uh, a Kogi mama in your 90s, uh, as one of them is, the the eldest elder. You get on a plane, which is completely foreign to you. You come to essentially another country, and you listen to these spiritually shallow whack jobs who all believe that they're on the same level, complaining about shit, (laughs) And right. and all of that and and if these people can look at that and and understand it and not just throw their hands up in the air and go you know what just kill me then right. I think the rest of us are going to be okay yeah 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 and these fucking people are losing their their entire sense of identity their culture everything I mean they're mm-hmm. they're going they're they're going extinct yeah you know the Kogi that's hard go that's hard for yeah that's hard for people like us to even imagine. You know, I mean, that kind of upheaval is. And they're hopeful because they mm-hmm. even through it all, even though that's the mindset they have to deal with, at least that mindset, at least those people are trying, you know? Yeah. At least in their own fucked up neurotic way, <laughs> they're trying to help. And so maybe some good can come of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows what's wrong. And, um, you know, and, and the end result is. Um, the only thing you can do is plow through and do what you can to make it right. I mean, that's that what, and that what we're supposed to do. I mean, are we just supposed to sit around and cry and wait for the next big apocalypse or, uh, or are you going to do something? I mean, that's it. And, um, uh, and it, you know, it doesn't have to be anything as grand as saving the world. It can be just as simple as, you know, donating to feed people or something like that. I mean, we talked about this, I think at the end of last year or the end of this year about, um, you know, trying to do something rather than just sit around and um, and 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 think or commiserate over what's going on, but what really trying to do something. So, well, I feel like the way the way society is set up, it is to depress you at this point. You mm-hmm. know, like like before you watch these shiny happy people on daytime TV laugh their way. You know, as Whitley said, you watch the news and you expect them to laugh their way through Armageddon. Basically, you know, <laughs> there's a big snowstorm coming. He's gonna kill us all. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's always been the attitude of uh, American TV since it went really commercial, right? At least at least since mm-hmm. probably the 70s or 80s. But that 
formula, you know, you can argue is to keep people complacent and asleep and all of that. But it really doesn't apply to now because we really need to be awake now. Like, I think that model is like, so the beast doesn't get riled up politically. Mm. But now our problems transcend political problems. Our problems are, um, you better learn how to build a shack (laughs) because your home could be blown away tomorrow. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so we can't afford to sleep through that. And so I do think at this point it's really depressing to see, um, you know, seven miles of Mississippi or, or wherever just stripped away from a tornado yeah. and turn on Blown the TV up. in the morning as if nothing's happened and see these shiny, happy people laughing about like uh, Lady Gaga or something, you know? Right. Jersey uh, Shore. <laughs> or Jersey Shore or whatever. I mean, it just is so – it so doesn't apply mm-hmm. to how the world is is turning right now that mm-hmm. uh, I think we need a little, a little more realism in a sense um, and, and we're just not getting it there. So I can see how even that – would depress some people if you're so hooked into TV culture and and TV just is so not reflecting reality. Oh. Uh, what do you do? Well, hopefully you turn off the TV, but how many of us are really going to do that? Uh, well, and there and therein lies the problem for me is, I mean, God damn it, you brought it up, so I don't want to hear any lip. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck with TV? Mm-hmm. I mean, really? Uh you know, this one about the broads in Jersey running this salon and all this kind of stuff. I see previews for this stuff on the History Channel and different places. I'm like, first of all, what is History Channel doing previews for this show for? <laughs> but, I mean, this is the crap that we're watching, you know? Or I guess I, I suppose it's younger generation is watching Jersey Shore and stuff like this. It's like this is like to see the money. I mean, this is what distresses me the most about watching anything on TV is, you you know, even if, if it's a drama or something like that or uh, a sitcom or something. I mean, those everybody enjoys a story. I mean, that's fine. But when you're talking about this crap that is just following these pseudo celebrity douchebags around with a camera, uh, watching them act like they have no self-respect whatsoever. And these people, let me give you a clue, folks. They're fucking millionaires. And guess what? It's your money. It's your money because you're not turning the station, the station off. Um, and, and that – I look at that and I look at pro sports. I mean uh, all of these things that so much money – I mean so much money gets hammered into. Uh, and again, you've got like perfect example. Mississippi is – half of it's blown to Oz. So you know, where's that money going to come from to fix that? Taxpayers, guess what? Jersey Shore won't be giving any money to that. Yeah, all of that. It's is, like it's just like we're so deprioritized. I guess is what I'm getting at. Is like, yes. what is going on? You know, what is wrong with you people? Well, but even that, that is a slightly different. Like all of that is one thing, and I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just saying, I think it's even one worse when you turn on morning shows like news programs, the Today Show. Mm-hmm. Or a pseudo news, not even a news program, but one of those, you know, The View or the Regis or one of those like chatty Kathy things mm-hmm. where nine times out of ten they will mention the tragedy. You know, it'll be like, oh, did you see Did you see that Minnesota was just blown off the map? Yeah, isn't right. that awful? Ah, oh, that's terrible. Anyway, Matthew McConaughey is in the studio with us. You know, it's like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like how is this a side issue to the entertainment portion of your program or mm-hmm. – if you're a news organization, I mean, what? how is this just something that you mention on your way to, you know, the next 
kitty cat trapped in a well story. I mean, right. just the, the setup of these types of TV shows don't apply to what's actually happening. We can't afford to repress ourselves in this way mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's no longer about the political beast. It's no longer about please sleep America. So that way, mm-hmm. you know, you let politicians screw you. It's not, it's no longer about just that. Now it's yeah. states are going to go missing and we won't know about it. <laughs> right. Or we won't care, you know, get your fiddles out. Rome's burning. Yeah. And then I you mean, add on top of that, the dumbing down of, you know, with the Jersey shore and all that nonsense. And it's like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's pretty pathetic. I mean, I just become unlivable uh, <laughs> when I see stuff like that. I mean, that's that's when I just I, I, I leave the room because if my wife hears me go off one more time, she's going to throw me out. Um, it, it just is. It's 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 fucking sad. And, and mean, people pay for this. That's the thing. I mean, oh yeah, my neighbors oh, yeah. just got rid of their cable. It was a hundred fifty dollar Time Warner mm-hmm. bill, so they turned to FiOS for some deal or whatever. I got rid of cable altogether. Mm-hmm. And I don't miss it one bit. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I mean, I, it's just it's like, why are you paying? Why are you paying? And it's not like you're paying twenty five dollars. You're paying at least a hundred dollars. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's always a package you don't care about. It always comes with like an Internet phone. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, I'll never use that. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I don't well. know. It's just everything is. I get- I guess we can't condemn all of TV. There is some that I've seen that have been educational. There's certainly plenty of that. There's certainly PBS. I've been watching more PBS than anything lately. Like, it's crazy. I'm, like, becoming my dad. Um, yeah, but you don't need cable for that. No. No, I don't. I could throw an antenna up and get that probably. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, – uh, there's plenty of good stuff out there, and there's plenty of ways to uh, – for, for all of these shows. You know, what have I said before? You know, pro sports and all of that. I mean, at this point in history, I don't know. I don't. It, it's unfathomable to me that what some of these people get played to play ball, and then turn around and we've got people starving, you know, homes destroyed. Uh, I mean, don't even worry if you're if you're so anti everyone else. Just think about what's going on in, in the United States. If you want to help out in the United States, here's an idea, ball players. How about you give twenty five percent of your earnings? to uh, uh, people that feed other people or help them rebuild their homes or something like that. I mean, I can't imagine like tomorrow if Paratopia became a a major uh, production and we were earning millions of dollars a year, you think for one second that we'd be fucking like going out and buying million dollar mansions and all that bullshit. It's like, please man, you know, and I've said this to uh, uh, a former friend of mine one time said, you know, our problem is we give it all away. I don't think that it's far off from the truth. I'd probably buy new cars and past that. I I probably would be giving most of it away. Can I have I mean, it? I just, no. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, and that's not to sound like, you know, I'm some amazing guy. Just like, you know, what else would you do with it? How much more gadgetry can you have? I got everything I want. I got my guitars, my family, my house, great dog. <laughs> what, what do I want? What do I want? I don't want anything. Um, I just, I don't know. I can't conceive of this gluttony of money and things and all of that. And meanwhile, look at the shape everything else is in. It's just so discombobulated to me. Well, it's but, weird. Uh, I mean, you talk about what do you want? I don't even want the things I have anymore. Like I have this huge DVD collection uh-huh. and I still have this huge comic book collection. I don't collect comics anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, 
if I could just get rid of all this shit, I would. It's just strange. It's like if I could just have bare walls <laughs> and nothing, I'd be fine. I'd be completely yeah. fine at this point. Yeah. Well, on a happier note, let's segue just like those daytime TV. Uh, yeah, let's, let's segue into the chick who was raising a cult. That, that'll well, be happy. Before we do that, <laughs> let me mention one thing here. Uh, the Sea Realm Podcast found at c-realmpodcast.podomatic.com. You all know KMO, and uh, I was on his show this weekend, and it is up right now, episode number 259. And, um, and we talked about lots of stuff. Uh, originally, we were going to talk about uh, Dennis McKenna and the Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss Project, and we touched upon that, but then we went into all sorts of stuff. For instance, why so many people gravitate towards the ETH and not the other possibilities. And then we talked about Terrence and Jacques Vallée and Dennis and um, nuts and bolts, that sort of thing. So um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so that's up right now at the Sea Realm Podcast, so go check it out. Very good. And uh, maybe we'll get into the Penison stuff after, or maybe we won't. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, fun. does anything need to be said? I feel like like it does need to be pointed out, and so maybe I will say it now. It needs to be pointed out that when we were listening to that Angela Joyner interview, mm-hmm. um, we were just going by what he was saying. Because <laughs> right. that's what you do in an interview. Right. Little did I know that if you actually go back and, and go through his hypnosis transcript from 1994, putting aside the issue of hypnosis, mm. right. But okay, let's try <laughs> to put that aside for a second. Yeah. Um, the way he couches all of what he said back then about binary code and how Linda Moulton Howe should have known um, because he laid it all out back then is is complete and utter bullshit. Uh, and I wish I'd known that during the show, but I didn't. So the more you go back and look, the more uh, his story really, really stinks. Mm. And um, it's not fun to argue <laughs> the point, but certainly we've had a robust argument with one person on the message board this week. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those arguments where I get roped in because, well, maybe psychologically I like it. I don't know. You know, go Freud on me if you want. Um, I'll accept the criticism, but in my head, consciously, I think, well, maybe this guy just doesn't get what I'm saying. Maybe if I repeat it six ways from Sunday, the light bulb will go off and you'll go, oh, <laughs> but that never happens. And then you have nine, 10, 11 pages of back and forth where I'm saying the same thing and he's just ignoring what I'm saying to maintain his point of view while at the same time saying he has no vested interest in in having that point of view. And it's like, well... If you honestly believe that, then then you're lying to yourself mm. because all of the evidence points to this is complete nonsense. Now, if you want to say it's nonsense because he's hoaxing, maybe. If you want to say it's nonsense because there was a psyop going on, maybe. But the preponderance of evidence is that it's, it's complete nonsense. Um, and we can't, of course, 100% ascribe a motive to that nonsense. We can just call it what it is, untruthful. Right. And if you go back to the hypnosis session, you can plainly see where he's being untruthful. Yeah. Well, I mean, my my breaking point with it today came, and I've largely stayed out of it because, frankly, I'm just not into long online discussions anymore about stuff that um, is, seems rather obvious to me. And um, and this gent brought up, he said, you know, Jeff, the codes were never brought up in his 1994 hypnosis section, session, rather. 
And so I go right to the video that, that's on our homepage underneath that episode where Mr. Burroughs says, what about the hypnosis? And Mr. Penniston says, I want to go back to the hypnosis. That's where I'm going. 1994, they are all described in the hypnosis, the download, everything. It was done that year. And then this guy comes back and tells me that I'm misinterpreting what's being said. How do you misinterpret that? <laughs> I, you know, again, it's just like, does anybody wonder you know, why this is such a difficult thing to try and like point out? Because you've got people who just simply will not listen and will not consider what you're saying. Nobody said any. I mean, I'll say it. This is my point of view is something happened. Uh, I believe something anomalous happened. I think the best you can hope for in that case is to go back to the original reports. That's where I think is there's interest, and that's what I think we should be looking at. I think all of this stuff coming up today, to me, is really suspect. I've got a lot of really big questions about it because I see a lot of big discrepancies in the whole story. And right here I've got probably one of the, the hundreds of thousands of people who – have essentially, again, I've told people this before, don't lay your whole belief system on one case. And if I feel like that's who we're arguing with is like, it's, it's someone who has laid their entire belief system of UFOs or whatever on top of this case. This case is their pinnacle. This is the one that proves it to them. And so by questioning that you're questioning again, the house of cards that's been built upon something that uh, is starting not to add up. I'm not even saying it doesn't add up. What I'm saying is what we're hearing now is not making sense with what was previously reported. And when you point out these things, I, I, I mean, I'm all about debating the facts. I'm all about looking at the facts. I'm all about whatever anyone wants to show me. But when I'm listening to the man's words from his own lips on YouTube and I'm watching him speak and he says, all of this was laid out in hypnosis in 1994, the download, everything, quote unquote, I mean, don't come back and piss down my neck and tell me it's raining. Don't, because that's ridiculous. He just said it. Um, this feels, I'll tell you, Jared, this feels like the Meyer-esque argument. You can point out everything that you want to point out, and they just bowl you over with, I don't know, either sidetracking it or trying to go over top of it or telling you you're wrong. That's not what he said, when in fact that is absolutely what he said. So, Well, and know. the sad thing about all of this to me is that if there really was an anomalous event, they can no longer go on a mainstream show and talk about it. Because the, the one thing that I've heard um, in various forums, including our own, is, well, this, does, this isn't a de – Rendlesham isn't dead. That's an overstatement because of what you just said. There is mm -hmm. a there there, the original case. Right. But the fact is, it is dead. It's dead to anyone outside of ufology because they can no longer go on, not that Larry King's around anymore, but right. something like the Larry King show and debate skeptics over this and say, you know what, your lighthouse thing, that's crap. And make the yeah. skeptic look like an idiot because now the skeptics got all the ammo they want to just be like, yeah, what about that binary code Absolutely. thing? Huh? I mean, Absolutely. This is a dead case as far as the mainstream is concerned and it's only – the subculture, the minority of folks in ufology hanging on to this going, no, no, they, it's still real. It's still real. Well, it may yeah. be, but it's useless. It's, rendered, yeah. it's rendered moot. 
Well, it's it's exactly what um, the show I did with uh, Dr. David Clark. It's, ex- it's exactly uh, – I think we're all seeing exactly what he was talking about in action right now is that you've got – I mean thank God that they do call this Great Britain's Roswell because that is exactly the way I see it going. It's going the way of the modern myth making. Uh, it's uh, – it, it, and it's not – and let's not look at this and say – that these people are deliberately embellishing it for profit or whatever. We're not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, for all I know, uh, Jim believes exactly what he's saying, for all I know. Uh, I'm not in his head, so what the hell can I tell? What I'm saying is, is you look at all this stuff coming out, you look at all this, I mean, hypnosis. Somebody asked me, I think it was the same guy asked me today. Well, now, I realize, you know, you just have to look past that. Well, no, who are you talking to? Do you know who you're talking to when you say look past hypnosis? No. Uh, you know, this is exactly the same kind of thing we've seen with Roswell. It's, it's stories and people coming out of the woodwork that really bear little resemblance to the original story and what was reported at the time, which is closer to the date of the event, which is, Inherently, in history shows more accurate. Uh, you know, the longer something goes, the more distant memory it becomes. So, this is how it works. This is how these things get layered on top of each other. And before you know it, as David Clark said, twenty years from now, we're looking at thirty years out from Rendlesham. Now, twenty years from now, possibly even ten, this case will bear little to no resemblance to what we're talking about now. Mark my words. Because I'll be here. I guarantee I'll be here. And so I'll ask you all, you know, does it look like anything like we talked about 10 years ago? And I bet you it won't because Roswell is exactly the same way. It, it looks very little like what it used to look like. I also want to say that he, of course, then falls back on trying to insult you with the false equivalent of saying, well, Jeff, you come up with stories, you know, week after mm-hmm. week that have happened to you and – and you don't have any evidence for it, so why should we believe you and not Jim? Like, yeah, but it's should. such it's such a well, first of all, you shouldn't. Is, is no. answer number one. Answer number two is it's a false equivalent because Jeff isn't presenting you timelines and evidence that don't add up. Jim right. is so make of that what you will. I mean, it's a completely different thing because somebody brought this up with Streber too. Like, why do you give Streber a pass, but you go after these guys? And it's like. Mm-hmm. I don't give anybody a pass. It's that it's it's completely it's a completely different animal. Um, an experiencer who is just talking about their life, as opposed to you know a guy who had a one-off in the military where there are records and there's you know an account of what happened and, and the, the the story has changed from there via right. hypnosis or via the 30th anniversary. I mean. All of that, all of that mechanism is completely different than just somebody telling their story and whether it rings authentic to you or not. I mean, I think it's far, the Jim Penniston type thing is far less subjective a take uh, on whether or not he's BSing. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, I don't, um, I mean, in many ways he's right. I have nothing to show for it aside from some photographs that we took. I know this is April, how, how many years ago it's been now, but um, that's really about all I got. That and the symbol that I don't reveal to many people. I sent the last person who saw it, I sent it to was Dr. Moody. Um, and I never heard back from him about what he thought about it. Um, Colin has seen it, right? I showed it to him. Mm-hmm. And I think Teokasen's seen it, if I'm not mistaken. So that's really about it. And all those people have been 
held confidential not to let it out anywhere. That's really about all I've got. So, but my thing is, is if something happens during the course of the week, I'll tell you about it. And you guys keep the timeline. I mean, my timeline is this podcast. You know, if I have to go through and and look at stuff, because uh, these days I've I've got entirely too much going on in my life to be cataloging and journaling all this stuff. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I got band stuff going on. I got uh, work. I've got a kid graduating. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to be writing down all this shit. Um, so you're right. I mean, I think that's essentially it. There is no reason to believe me. You know, my answer is if there's anything anyone has uh, to question me about that, I'm wide open to it. I mean, please ask me anything that you want, anything. But, uh, you know, I, I think he made the point of when you go on a talk show or you go on a radio program or whatever, uh, do you get the same thing? Do you detail the same thing exactly right every time? And, uh, and when it comes to my earlier experiences in this stuff and, and, and I don't know the up into the twenties. Yeah, it is, it is, what it is because I know I wouldn't add or subtract anything to that. Uh, whereas this case seems like there just seems to be more and more and more developing out of the same story. Well, not only that, but the way he says it, I mean, again, you go back to the 94 hypnosis session and all he says is now get a load of this folks. He's under hypnosis and retrieving memory from 1981 when he was hypnotized using sodium pentothal from military people from the OSI. Mm -hmm. So it's hypnotically retrieved memory of a hypnotically retrieved memory. (laughs) Under sodium pentothal. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) that's how convoluted it is to begin with. And within there, so he he touches the symbols on the the ship Mm -hmm. and they ask him what the symbols mean. And he tells them he knows what the symbols mean. The, the those foreign symbols and then okay. but touching it releases a binary code so in his mind's eye he sees a bunch of ones and zeros ones and zeros ones and zeros they don't ask him what that means they ask him why why did that happen they ask him something he couldn't know the motivation of the alien or the time traveler right. why, why do they put <laughs> these ones and zeros in your head he doesn't answer he doesn't say anything about that they they ask him and then i guess they just sort of scurry on to the next issue and just say, well, let's never talk of this. Um, so he, so right there he says, uh, I touched the symbols and it released a binary code. So all that stuff on the joiner report about, I don't know what a binary code is. It's gibberish is complete nonsense. If you believe the hypno, the hypnosis, he knew that he knew what binary code was enough to say it in 1981. To say binary code. Yeah. So even if he thought it was gibberish, he then obsessively, uh, he obsessed over it so much in 1980 that he wrote it down the next day. Uh, yeah. He had to jot it down meticulously, obviously, you know, 14 pages worth of ones and zeros. And in 30 years, he never thought to check that out because he thought it was gibberish. And on top of that, he inherently knew what it meant. So right. it couldn't have been gibberish. I right. mean, my analogy, of course, goes back to Close Encounters. You don't build the mountain of mashed potatoes after a close encounter and say this means something and then not figure out what the fuck it means. That doesn't happen. That's not how humans work. <laughs> so, but all of that is um, uh, almost beside the point because what, what, what 
<laughs> Everything. Well, before you point. even before you even go that for, that far, let's again. You're talking about the binary codes and and why weren't they coming out? His answer in the YouTube video from the 30th get together was because they didn't mean anything. Why wouldn't you take them to somebody? Why? I mean, real ambivalent about it. Like, why would I do that? Like, why would you do that? What do you mean? Why would you do that? They were, they meant nothing. They didn't mean anything to me. That was his exact words. They didn't mean anything because they didn't mean anything to me. Right. Then on Joiner Report, he says he knew exactly what they meant back then. Right. So there's the big discrepancy. This is what originally made me want to do this show in the first place. It's like, wait a minute. Well, that's the discrepancy uh, we all that's... know about from the show. But the one we don't know about from the show is that his whole thing about uh, he had said, you know, uh, well, I, I said all about it back in 94. I talked all about the binary codes back in 94. I laid it all. He said, I laid it all out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Linda Howe knew all about it back then. And so why didn't – and then Angela Joyner's like, she did? Well, why didn't she ask you about it? And he's like, I don't know. It was weird to me too. <laughs> well, no, he didn't lay anything out. All he said was, I touched this thing, binary code – came into my mind and that's completely meaningless a wall of ones and zeros in one's mind is meaningless beyond that unless you say i know what it means or you say i don't know what it means but i've got it jotted down in my notebook so it wouldn't be on linda how to (laughs) to follow up on that she reports in her book exactly what he said under hypnosis so Mm -hmm. it's no mystery to me why he wouldn't follow up especially given the fact that he does say in 1994 that he knows what those alien or time travel symbols mean. So right. I think just logically, when one hears a story, if Jeff tells me a story and says, I touched this thing, I, I knew what those symbols meant, and then they release this binary code in my head of ones and zeros. If he doesn't tell me what that means, that's the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because yeah. clearly he was willing to tell me what the other symbols meant. So he must right. not know what the ones and zeros mean. I mean, that's just that's just how human behavior works in real life. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, yeah. he didn't tell Linda how this in 94. He told her in 96 when she was working on uh, her book. So he gave her the hypnosis transcript or the audio tape. And so the dude on our message board was making a big deal of this. Well, she heard the tape. Why didn't she ask him about that binary code? Well, the problem is the binary code, again, he doesn't describe anything about it except that it happened, ones and zeros in his head. He does describe the other symbols and says exactly what they mean. And the binary code is within the context of this larger outlandish scenario involving time travels and those symbols and right. and all of that. So it, even just in the face of that, it's like a drop in the bucket detail. I mean, if all that happened was a ship osmoted him ones and zeros, then I think you could make the case, well, Linda, why didn't you ask him what those ones and zeros meant? Does he know? But this is yeah. coming in the midst of this waterfall of of esoteric information, and mm-hmm. it's the one thing that he doesn't describe beyond saying it happened. Right. So it follows that he doesn't know what happened. Well, I'll tell you the only thing that kind of uh, that kind of sticks with me, which is which I find interesting. I don't I don't know that it's any more than is it coincidence? Is it is it me trying to pick out some random pattern in this that? may or may not be there, and I'll put that out there before I even say this, but how interesting is it that we've got this whole extraterrestrial thing where we're talking about aliens coming from light years away using technology that to us is the equivalent of magic, uh, and yet when we're talking about the whole abduction scenario, we're talking about these uh, metal implements and rods and probes and all all this really medieval shit for a, a culture that's 
you know, might as well be extra dimensional if they're traveling light years, right? If they're doing that, then they're by nature they're they're entering different dimensions doing that. But yet they need these tools to operate. Like you know, I remember what Terrence was saying about something like that, where he, he would he would kind of look at that and go, "It's so absurd." You know, you would think that if technology progressed at such a level, that so would good taste. You know, uh, and and we're seeing. I mean, if you're if this story is to be looked at at face value, aren't you seeing that same kind of dynamic where we've got this story of time travel now? To my knowledge, and I've not read a whole lot about this, so if message guys, message board guys and gals chime in on this, traveling forward in time is a doable thing, but I've not heard a lot of people talk about going backwards. In fact, I've heard some of them say going backwards is not a possibility. Maybe we just haven't discovered it yet, but uh, fair enough on that. But Right, the grandfather paradox. About, Can you kill yeah, your grandfather, and if so, then do you live? You know, Right, so – Looking at this case, at its face, we've got us in what seems to be a very far-flung future, uh, traveling backwards in time to set timelines right, if we're to believe what Jim says about this. They're there to correct the timeline or fix the timeline. So if we've got a culture now that can do that, don't you think they communicate in a better way than fucked up binary code like again we're seeing that same kind of just ridiculousness uh, that doesn't match the technology that it's coming from uh, it just seems too similar to me to just completely dismiss out of hand like that um, I mean I see, I see the discrepancies and all of that all of that said I do find it interesting that we're seeing that same kind of dynamic, uh, a technology that is outputting something that just doesn't seem to hold pace with the technology itself or the culture itself. It's just backwards. Well, I, don't, from, I don't find that they. fascinating. Uh, I, I chalk that up to hypnosis myself. Well, it could be. I mean, it could be. Nothing more than that. I, mean, uh, I don't think any of it happened. How about that? I don't think really? any, anything that happened under hypnosis, I don't think any of that oh, happened. Oh, no. No, no, no. I, well, I'm, in, I'm in large agreement with you there. But uh, I get what you're saying about the hypnosis, but I still find that whole thing interesting. Uh, I, I just I think that, that is uh, is kind of a tenet of this phenomenon to kind of disregard itself or put something out there that doesn't seem to match the rest of the story. Um, and, and I mean, we don't have to chalk it up to hypnosis. We could say that there are cases out there that are, I mean. Again, we've got uh, completely lucid accounts of landings of weird craft where people – these little beings get out and collect soil and plant samples. I mean do you really think they'd have to land to do that if they can get here from there? It's the same kind of thing. It just doesn't match up. Something seems like theater and yeah, less like – no, I understand all that. I just think that that although on the surface this you know, may – Look like it could be that uh, it's really just a dumb fabrication. Well, it could, could a, be. a really lazy fabrication. <laughs> it could be. I mean, you know. But uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll catch that because we may have a guest coming on soon to talk further into this. But um, that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, uh, uh, I I I believe you're right in the sense of the mass media 
as a whole, it would be dead for them because now there's this large loophole to crawl through and destroy it, which is unfortunate. But that happens to far too many cases um, throughout all of this, so I'm not it's, surprised in a way. I want to just go back for one second because I didn't quite make my point, which was uh, about the Linda Moulton Howe stuff. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Um, just that the larger point was going to be that while Jeff uh, or I could go on an interview show and maybe truncate what happened or forget a detail here or there, I don't think you could make the case that what we would ever do um, or have ever done is play up as though, you know, well, Jeff knew all about that way back then. I don't know why you didn't ask me about it <laughs> when right. there it is for anyone to read that that's not true. That right. type of quote unquote mistake it, that that doesn't happen from uh, bad memory or I mean that, that's that's just a fabrication right. as far as I'm concerned. That's okay. just no one's going to go back and look. Right. As, as far as I'm concerned, so uh, I think that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Anyway, on to the cults. Paratopia, without further ado, and I say that knowing full well that uh, we just spent an hour doing pre-chat a record hour. Uh, here is my good friend and neighbor, Taylor Galloway. Hello. Taylor, welcome to Paratopia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Taylor, you're a survivor of the occult. Occult. What are you? What am I? <laughs> See, we're already getting into the big questions. I don't know about survivor. I don't. Are any of us survivors yet? I mean, we're still... Yeah. Pretty full and throttle if, you know. Well, this is true. We uh, essentially, this show is a combination of three things. Uh, one is that the rapture happened last weekend. The other is that I'm reading the Guru Papers, which is about cult control and authoritarianism and all of that. And the third is because I was talking to you and a friend of yours, who I wish could be here but unfortunately can't, uh, about, well, she was almost literally stolen into a cult by accident in Ireland. That's a fascinating topic. But then it came around to uh, you. I don't know if it's your mom and your your pop or just your pop, but you were sort of raised in a very Christian fundamentalist, arguably cult-like family and broke away from it to become a New York actress. Oh, what a story. (laughs) Uh, How much of that is true? And then we'll get into um, where we're going with this show. What, were both of your parents in this, and, and what was the name of their church? Um, well, I guess in a nutshell, it could be said as that. But, I mean, it's kind of been a process of things. I was raised for a period of my life um, without television, without music, except for classical. Um, I was homeschooled. And the only kind of schooling I really had, and this is all for a period of time, because then, you know life intervened and both my parents kind of wised up a little bit, thank God. Or goodness, whichever you prefer. <laughs> um, anyway, what was I saying? So yeah, I um, that was crazy. I remember, oh, the only schooling I had was called Socratic. And my father would sit us outside and read to us various books of biblical, you know, mentors and writers and Um, One in particular was the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I was like eight years old hearing about people being 
torn apart by beasts for standing up for Christ. And, you know, I was expected to, you know, do that if need be. <laughs> Did you say Socratic? Socratic. As yeah. in my, Socrates? Right. My father called it Socratic. Oh. Um, and, you know. What was the church? Oh, yes. Um, lots of churches. <laughs> uh, my father took us around to lots of churches. Um, basically, ones that, the ones we stayed in the longest were the ones that really listened to him, believed that he had, you know, powers from God and that he was a prophet and... You know, but once right. People... This is the part that's missing. Your dad is the prophet. Well, yeah, he's a cool guy, and you know, we should t- definitely get him on this. I mean, <laughs> he would be um, amazing and What's very his interesting <laughs> for real. Um. So yeah. So uh, the first church I remember was kind of like that Pentecostal Hallelujah, like laying on hands and speaking in tongues, and um, that's the first church I really have a vivid memory of. And then we jumped from that to Greek Orthodox to uh, a couple of just non-denominational to Baptist, and we kind of settled in Baptist. And then after the Baptist church, I kind of um, broke free from all that religion and went to college and kind of wised up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how many kids are in your family? Seven. Seven. Seven children. Um, Are any of them still into it? Mm. Yeah, they're into God. They're into the spirituality of religion. Now, how did your dad become a prophet? How does one become a prophet? Well, a little man comes to your door and opens it. And <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I don't know. Ask him. Well, uh, I'm asking you because you're here. I and you're his daughter. I, he, I, I don't know. I guess through the you know the word of God and just being spoken to. But then people just believe him, or how, I mean, how does he? End Some up people in do. Some people do, but I, you know, most people don't. And and I have to add that he's mellowed out tremendously. Like this is all long ago. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, it's it's fine. Um. So. He doesn't. I don't know if he really believes that anymore. I mean, I think probably a little bit of him does, but I think he's learned to kind of subside it. Hmm. So was it odd for you, or did you? Was it not odd for you because you didn't know anything else? I mean, it's not like you had to go to school and deal with kids making fun of you and that sort of thing, right? It wasn't odd until I saw how normal kids acted, and I saw that they were going to school and I wasn't, and that their father didn't make them sit outside and do weird aerobics and get up at the butt crack of dawn and just kind of like pray and you know I began to realize that this was abnormal and made uh, you do weird aerobics fun yeah he we lived on a mountain and um he would get us up around 6 a.m and we would have to you know like we were in the army or something you know (laughs) march down the mountain and kind of just do weird stretching and just to, you know, he wanted us to be healthy, which is good. That's, that's admirable. You know, he wanted his kids to be healthy, but, um, it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) And then we would have Socratic. So, so then you go to college and, um, snap out of it or, or what, what's that process like? Yeah, you just, exactly. You just kind of snap out of it. You know, um, when my parents got divorced, that kind of stopped any kind of weirdness you know my mom put the younger kids in school and my dad moved away for a while and um my brothers and I went to college and um we just kind of adapted to normal society you know 
But you're not that close. far out of college. I mean, how many no. years ago did you graduate? Just like a year ago. Yeah. Huh. So you, you've you've become normal. <laughs> no, I'm not. I said quote unquote. Like, I, I you know, what is normal? Right. So, yeah. Um, so looking at <clears throat> how just going to college and being amongst uh, people who, who aren't of the same mentality, uh, seeing that sort of snapped you out of this. Well, I have two questions about that. We'll make this easy. The first one is, uh, why do you think that appealed to you more than what you were raised to believe? And then I'll ask the other one. Because it's dumb. <laughs> but how do you know that if you're raised? Did you know because that at the time? I mean, did you have the sense this is stupid? I did have the intuition, yes, because I saw people behaving badly and not, you know, staying true to their word and their promises. And, you know, everything just wasn't making sense. And it was clear and very plain to see that something was off about religion and the way people acted in it. I mean, Does your is your dad included? Did he practice what he preached? Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, hmm. definitely. So then the million-dollar question for me is, knowing what you know and having experienced what you experienced, when you see something like, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not even sure that you've really paid attention to what's going on with this rapture nonsense, but when you see that type of devotion to... Uh, Jeff and I were talking earlier where a mom, you know, apparently so depressed about the rapture not happening, tried to kill herself and her children. What do you think it is about that mentality where people don't snap out of it when they're around normal people? Let's call them quote unquote normal people. I'm not surprised, and it's around us all the time. I mean, there's cultish things that are going on around us every second of the day. I mean, everywhere from the school, the government, religion. Everything. I mean, the whole facade. Even you. I mean, to get really philosophical about it, this whole life is kind of cultish. You know, kind of like raised to believe in some kind of cult. You know, whether it's the television or relationships or you know, if you want to get that deep into it. <laughs> but um, the, I mean, ignorance. It's ignorance, and it's sad. I. I it's sad. Um, but you think it's easy, so you think it's easier to remain there than it is to break away. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm. I just got lucky because <laughs> you know I look at some of my friends that are still in the church and stuff, and they're you know, there's no way they can do what I do. And I'm not saying I'm something special because I'm not. I mean, well, I have the same insecurities as the next guy, but like. There's no way they could break from that. I mean, their world would fall apart. So what was it like for you, you know, your dad as a prophet? I imagine that's uh, a difficult... There's going to be a difficult set of expectations to live up to in some way. And, and of course, a daughter's bond with her father is a very strong bond. Uh, what was that like for you? Just just that, that, that dynamic, that relationship <laughs> dynamic. What was um, What was that? Well, that's a very interesting and kind of lovely, bittersweet question. Um, I have a a pretty good relationship with my father now. Um, growing up, and I think this is normal for any kind of teenager, I hated him, he was mean, he didn't let me do anything, I didn't understand, you know, the, I think all that normal stuff happened. Um, but I'm very sensitive to my father. I think that, and I, that, you know, could just be natural because I'm his daughter. Um, 
I believe that somewhere in his heart that it's coming from a good place, his intentions. But I always kind of, you know, just take it with a grain of salt, I guess. Just like any, you know, any kind of religious fanatic. I mean, everybody's human, right? Like, I mean, you have to have a little bit of compassion for these people as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, suffer. but when you say these people, I mean, this is your father, you know? Right, right. So I have, you know, probably more compassion. Than... Um, and what was his relationship with your mom like? Is is this where we put the music bed? Is this where we put the music bed and have the Oprah moment? Well, I mean, dang, is this going to be like the the story? We don't want to get into that. Well, just roughly. Oh, really? Well, then, yeah, let's hear it. Oh. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to talk about it. Well, I mean, uh, I, I guess we can talk about it. I mean, I'm just interested in the relationship dynamics of someone who believes he's a prophet. We'll be talking more about, you know... Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, well, the thing about my father is, and <laughs> I keep thinking if he's going to hear this, like, what he would think. And I would totally be fine with it. But um, my father is a very charismatic, charming, attractive, good old southern man. Like, he's he's tall, he's handsome, and... Um, he's very good with words and, um, very interactive with people. So, um, you just kind of naturally are kind of drawn to him. Like these preachers can be sometimes. I mean, you just, I mean, my gosh, we all want to believe in something. We all want to wake up and believe and follow something that's good and true, right? That, that makes sense. So, um, anyway, I think my mother kind of fell in love with that whole thing that he had going on for him, and, um, unfortunately, it interfered with her children and raising them and all kinds of madness, and that's pretty much, I mean, it's pretty much the traditional divorce story, except that he, you know, thought that the church should support him because he was working for God, and that meant working for the people, and that um, he didn't have the ability to, to do a regular job because he was working for God and the people. And finally, my mom was like, uh, no. <laughs> so basically, he, yeah. So when you say um, that he's mellowed out, do you, do you think that, what do you think has caused that? Has, has he self-reflected, do you think? I mean, do you think that there's an element of narcissism that, that, that can be undone here? <laughs> That's such a good word, narcissism, good for this conversation. It, it has a lot to do with narcissism, I think, for all of these Christian leaders. Well, I, I don't know. Some people really have great intentions and really do want to help people. You know, I don't. <laughs> but some people do, I'm sure. Um... He's mellowed out because he has moved on and he has married another woman who has money and he kind of has this whole new life, a really good life. And um, I think that that has mellowed him out a lot. <laughs> money? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's the root of all what again? Evil. <laughs> 
Taylor, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this or not because I'm not sure if your dad would have even told you this or not. But usually if somebody's got an experience where they're talking to God and that sort of thing, usually it's rooted in something. Did he ever tell you guys, like, look, here's the real reason that we have to do this or we have to live a certain way or I have to be in league with the church and all of that? I mean, there's... Did he give you ever, sure, like, yeah, a big I mean, experience he, of what happened to him? He has valid reasons, you know. He talks about spiritual warfare and a corrupt system, which I totally believe in. I mean, I, I believe it. I believe our government is corrupt. I believe that we have political leaders, you know, just raping us in the butthole. You know, that happens. But there's a balance that I think humans have to maintain. And if you kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know. This is getting really deep. <laughs> but um That's okay. That's where we go here. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he he had some valid points, but he kind of guess got too extensive and too erotic and mm-hmm. um erotic? What does that mean? Can you just say that one more time? I'm sorry. <laughs> Erotic. Uh, there you are. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? He got too erotic. He just got too caught up in the um, behavior of being different in, mm. and, and not abiding by what society says you have to abide by. And then it causes chaos. You know, there, there, is, there is an order in society, um, and we are asked to follow it, and Many of us don't. Many of us cheat the system, and there's all these loopholes. But you know, if you cross the line too far, it does. You know, there's consequences, and there there are chaotic reactions, and that's mm-hmm. I think what happened with him and our family. Huh. I think that's what happened. Yeah. But he never related to you like uh, any sort of uh, you know. I saw a light from the cloud, and God spoke to me and said, "Blah." I mean, it was there wasn't necessarily an experience like that. I, I'm just trying to figure well, out, yeah, like, I mean, I, we I'm can go back and talk to like, those experiences. Which I mean, let's. I have had those experiences. So it's all about man. People in the church are passionate. I mean, it's a lot like theater. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, I think that's why I'm so involved with theater, and and so just it just comes natural to me because you get yourself worked up so easily. Um, you open up your soul and your heart and your mind, and it actually is really easy to do with religion. And I wish more people would do this. Um, but you, you have to, <laughs> you have to be smart about it, though. Right. Um, but church and theater are a lot alike, except that at the end of the day, we, as actors, we come out on the stage and we're like, "This is this is a story that we're telling. This is acting, and this is done to make you feel something and for you to, you know." be okay with opening up your heart and soul where religion is I don't know what is religion what I mean what really is the agenda with religion <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day so yeah I mean when I was involved with the church and I mean I was heavily involved you know I loved the lord and I wanted to be a minister and I I was in a praise band and I was touched by the holy spirit and I just was so filled with joy and um, you just get so caught up in it and I think that that is okay I think it's normal for people to get their bodies and souls and mind and and 
and just have this intense passion. I think that's completely natural and human, um, but it's important to remember for what and and why. Right. So. And a bal and a balance, I guess you know. Right. I mean, that's that's something. I mean, I, I hesitate to bring this up, but I, I'm gonna anyway because it fits so perfectly into this. And I'm curious if you ever heard anything like this. I mean, I I knew a girl in school who uh, was a good girl. She wasn't a bad girl. Uh, and I met her years later, and we went uh, to get some coffee one night after we kind of had this little reunion thing. And um, and you know, her husband's a, a minister, and uh, and she's very religious. And and I fully respect her religious beliefs, but I asked her because she wasn't that way when I knew her. And I said, so what was what was the genesis of this? Like, where did this come from? Pardon the pun. Uh, you know, wh- where did this come from? And, you know, her answer was uh, that she was in a social studies class and there was a boy in class who was very unashamed of his religion. And when the teacher, whatever, something religious would come up, he would be very unashamed to talk about his own beliefs. And so she approached him, and what came out of that whole conversation was her asking him, well, in your belief, am I going to hell? And he said, well, yes. (laughs) And from there is where it kind of erupted for her. Like she says, well, I mean, it almost seemed like the genesis of her getting into it was fear-based. Sure, religion, that's its greatest marketing tool is fear, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. who's, I mean, who who are any of us to say that there is a, or isn't a God? You right. Know, I'm sh- none of us are ever going to demean anyone for their beliefs. No, certainly not. You know, no. so, but it's just the way that it's structured, the way that religion is structured, it's so wrong and immoral well i I mean i think that's kind of weird i mean when i heard this immediately the thing that sprung to mind for me is well then he judged you and to me that's like a tenant of not being uh, a a a christian person is to judge immediately uh somebody like that i mean that's that just that's what it's smacked of for me and uh and, and you know frankly in later conversations that it appeared to me that that's how she kind of like picked up on that sort of thing there it's a very she can be very judgmental and very i don't know how to put it i don't know what the word is but uh holier than thou is not a is not an accurate description but that's it's kind of that sort of flavor to it it's almost like well you really need to give yourself to the lord and blah 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 and i just kind of like (laughs) i just kind of like go wow like i'm so not into the way you think and but i can see this uh this this judgmental type of thing going on like some of the things that that come out of people like this is is supposed to be reserved for god i guess is what i'm getting at like judgment is supposed to be reserved to that and so who was this kid to tell her i think you're going to hell based on this and to then put that kind of idea on the table at all my answer would have been well only god can judge whether you are or you aren't if I was asked something like that as a religious person. I would think that would be the, the canned a- answer. But apparently it's not the canned answer. Apparently they have no bones about telling you, well, I think you're going to hell. <laughs> you know. So how often in your life did you run into that kind of like, well, we have to do this or you know what's going to happen, Taylor. You're going to burn. <laughs> you know. I mean, did you come across that like a lot? No, because I was a part of the church. You know, I was the one going out and... 
telling others they were going to burn. Eh, <laughs> not so much. I mean, no? I was kind of lax about the whole thing, mm-hmm. except when I was on stage singing. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's very judgmental. I mean, these, yeah, these, this is a very, this is what's wrong. It's very hypocritical and judgmental. And this is why we, you know, aren't in support of religion. <laughs> right. Right. Is that how you would properly say it? I mean, because people can have their own religion. I don't know. I don't even know if it's a religion we're even talking about. I mean, it's like a. Uh, it's a mindset. It, it's a mindset. Well, it, yeah, and it's a fundamentalist type of thing. It's. It's. I guess. I mean, for lack of a better word, you could call it radical. I mean, it's just this yes, radical yes. version of, radical version of, what good Christian people are, which I genuinely believe are very good people. This but radical theory that if you are not a Christian and do not claim the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that right. you are going to burn and right. have a painful afterlife. Right. Literally. I mean, that is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's agree. what we're talking about here, is this Absolutely. this punishment, this afterlife punishment mm. that people claim to... Know way too much about. Know way yeah, yeah, exactly. too much about. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, exactly. my gosh. Uh, I want to ask you when, when you say that you um, that you felt something, you know, uh, passionate and all that. Was there a physical? I mean, did you feel born again? Did you have that moment of cleansing that felt, you know, I don't know, supernatural or spiritual in some way? Did you have sure, some sort of physical component? Yes, to that? I mean, the human body and mind and soul. I mean, is very real. Okay, so like I very much believe in all kinds of connections supernatural natural unnatural i believe in all kinds of feelings and things that can happen to you i mean that is so do you think that those things um are are real and whatever you attach them to is the fake thing so you could just as easily have thought this microphone in front of you was saving you if you really believed that enough you would have a physical a physical sure if you had like the right music playing and the right people tell you know (laughs) encouraging you to believe in the microphone and i mean yeah i mean this is what films are about you know this is why we watch films because they create these images and feelings inside of us um it's just it's a whole production of things i wonder i love the production i mean i i'm an actor so i'm like so are you comparing the the emotional feeling of the the blissful feelings um in church are they the same well, Are you asking me what's real and what's not real? Because well, I don't know. No, I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Is there something more? In other words, I had this uh, experience of reading a Lord's Prayer one fine day, a number of times. And then finally, I read it and meant it. And just the act of meaning it um, made me like I felt it in my gut, and it welled up throughout me. And I was blissed out for the, like the next three oh, days. And I wonderful. felt like whatever my quote unquote sins were had all been wiped away. But I feel like. Um, that that's a physical reaction to giving up, uh, to, to, to giving up the stress of being you. And if I had given up as a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, or whatever, it wouldn't have mattered. It wasn't Jesus that did it. It was the act of meaning, <laughs> personal meaning, meaning, uh, you know, I really the do mean The act this. of you wanting to live an honest, a more honest, pure life. But that that triggered a physical reaction that is deeper than a play or a movie can trigger. Did you feel anything deeper sure. than a movie or a play can trigger? Is... Yes, because okay. you are committing 
wholeheartedly. I mean, your mind is in your heart and your soul. I mean, you, so you, you create this it. feedback loop. If you are committing to your fundamentalist, you know, you can call it crazy all you want, but if you're committing to it, and it creates this feedback loop in you of physical reactions of, of blissed out, or if you're Pentecostal, you know, you get down and you shake and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, how exactly. can you tell people like that that exactly. that's not that's, real? Exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, I that's why I always, I always hesitate to ever kind of question any super religious person's beliefs because I mean they're they're done it's solidified it's they're they're committed so you know I just have to kind of live with it <laughs> live with them mm-hmm. and this is the world so yeah it sucks Jeff sorry to butt in no no it's okay I mean I I I mean so much of this stuff for me um it, it just <laughs> Like, I'll, Jeremy, have you seen Jesus Camp? Either of you? I mean, Not yet. yeah, I've seen a little bit, little bit of it. I mean, that to me is kind of like the air of what I'm talking about. It's like it's just like you watch this and you think, man, it's like what, what, what is going on here? Like for real, what is really going on here? Is this oh, really that's about religion? Exactly what's going on? It's about well. No, no. Take I, off. I'm very. Uh, I'm so judgmental. I'm so judgmental and mean and harsh. But um, I don't want to kill animals or kill people. So anyway, that being said, uh, these people are pathetic. They're losers. They're sad. They have no hope. They have no reason for living. They and they just hold on so tightly to this thing that that gives them joy. And for you know, it's just. It's masturbation. It's sick. It's disgusting. And then these parents, you know, put this on put the, this on their children, and um, it, it caters to the working class. Can we just be real here? I mean, Jesus Camp. That's what that was about. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we're gonna be brutally honest, which I am, and I'm probably don't air this one because I'm <laughs> such a bitch. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's about these pathetic people that are being ruled by these smarter richer people i mean it's huh. come on duh <laughs> yeah well i'm not you know it, but it's, it's sad it's very sad and you want to you know reach out to these people and and kind of be like you you can be smarter you have a chance at life you have a chance to you know make it have a normal life but they don't i mean they don't <laughs> right well or maybe whatever i don't know I mean, the end of it is what kind of clinched it for me. Uh, well, the whole thing clinched it for me. But the end was, like, really amazing because here's this little girl who I, I guess has just come back from this camp. And she walks over to some men playing checkers underneath a tree in a park and says, where do you think you're going to go when you die? And he says, well, I'm going to heaven, I hope. And she says, are you sure? And that's where it kind of ends. And you're like, okay, here it is. This is the... <laughs> This is the indoctrination of these kids into this, this uh, you know, just thumping, pounding, you're going to listen to me because I won't leave you alone until you do uh, type of mentality, which just – like to indoctrinate kids into that at such a young age is like crazy. Like let, let, let the kids be kids. How about that? You know? Um, and even to the point where they had the kids talking about uh, – yeah, and these are you can tell these are not evil well, little that's like children. Saying, you know? Let there be world peace. Like, <laughs> right, right. it's not going to happen. I mean, it it just right. doesn't work like that. I mean, it it's power of the hierarchy. It's, I mean, well, it's what all a, a scheme. 
But, but what, what amazes me is, is that these people don't even know how much that turns people off. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, idiots. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> to me. Like, you're out there trying to recruit people. And you're up and, there with your hands and raised and you're sweating yeah, and it's disgusting yeah, so, and nobody wants to have sex with you while you're like speaking. <laughs> I mean, that's not sexy. Yeah. So stop. <laughs> stop speaking in tongues. Stop it now. Stop speaking in tongues and just use your tongue. Come on. No. Yeah, yeah, there you oh, go. There, I said it. <laughs> Can we get a station ID with that? I mean, I'm just curious. <laughs> Wow. Let me ask you, yeah. your dad, uh, now that he's mellowed out, have you talked to him about any of this stuff? Any of your feelings? He knows. He still... Is he still a religious man? Yes. Very. Very religious. Okay. Um, it, what's heartbreaking, and the, the reason why we're talking about this now is because it actually is personal. It is an individual, personal thing that each human deals with. And um, it's so easy to make fun of, and I will continue to make fun of it. But, I mean, it's, it truly is devastatingly sad because yeah. it's so much insecurity and fucked up things that have happened to you that just build and build and build and then you create this person that has these beliefs uh, anyway i i just try to love my father to let him know that i love him right you know um and that i'm here for him right and that's that. I mean, that's that's important. That's what's Im- the most important to both of us. Um, so, I mean, it's just sad. And that's where the music bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Um, well, I, I just want to try this one more time because I'll be remiss if, if I don't. Your dad is a prophet. He's not just somebody who has some ideas that may ring true or may ring wacky. He's a guy that people believe is a prophet because he's had some sort of moment or something. Did he ever tell you what that moment was? No, I could ask him. I mean, I could talk I could talk to him if he ever had kind of like a spiritual intervention or something. That's so weird. So he just told you I'm a prophet and he never said here's why? Yeah, it's as basic as that, Jeremy. I mean, huh. it's just it's wow. not it's not <laughs> so maybe Jim Penniston could not tell anyone about the ones and zeros in his notebook. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm laughing because I think I know what that's about. <laughs> Taylor, anytime you don't know, just repeat the last three words, and it really sounds like you know. So, <laughs> Yeah, Jim Penniston. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jim. <laughs> that's all you got to do. This yeah. is fun. I'm, I like talking well, about shit. I, well, you know what? I guess I guess if you're, if you're dealing with people who are based so hardcore in faith, I guess that if you say you're a prophet and you, I don't know, on some level, I think you got to plug into what people want to hear. I guess it makes sense and it just works from there. I mean, it's, you know. It's their life. Let's talk about the rapture. Let's talk about these people. What do they have going on in their lives? Nothing. They're waiting for it to end. Exactly. Because you know what? Life kind of does suck unless you really, really try to make something of it. Well, this is what we were talking about in the beginning is you've got 
the political disaster that has become us, you've got the natural disasters that are becoming us, and you've got this TV god blaring mm-hmm. happy, shiny people telling you to just go to sleep. And so there's that pressure cooker on top of um, this repressed suicidal impulse, because certainly Jesus doesn't want you to kill yourself. That's going to be a sin. So you've got all of this like just depressing cloud hanging over your existence in, as an American. Sure, I think, and if, everyone needs an outlet, and the church is free. The church is very welcoming. You You go in and you kind of... You know, ask forgiveness of the weirdness that's going on in your life. But do you think it, the whole rapture thing is a repressed, um, a repressed suicidal impulse? It's it's, be, they need the rapture to make themselves feel valid and good and powerful, and not the weaklings that they actually really are. Well, I think that's probably truer than what I was saying. <laughs> hmm. 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 Yeah, there's just I have so many stories about the church that like it's just so. Well, one that really just aggravates me, and I'm totally kind of changing topics. We're just talking about the corruption of the church, was which is no surprise to anyone. But my sister and I recently had a conversation of um, my sister's very attractive. She's tall and blonde, and you know all the Galloways are kind of charismatic and charming and very. Uh, you know, you're a hot family. We like we like we like to you know entertain, and we're very giving. And anyway, she told me that um, some of the the women in the church when she was growing up, it's ugh, this makes me furious that they would um, tell her that she was too sexy and that she should f- ask forgiveness for being pretty. And that she should watch what she wears. And I I mean, we're talking like a 12-year-old. And, you know, she had no idea what, you know, provocative or being a seductress was at all. Had no idea. And just these, quote-unquote, women of God, her teachers, were telling her that she was pretty much a whore, for lack of a, you know, better word. I mean, and and I just was like, what? Yeah. What? That you had to go through this, and she was. She said that she was made to feel bad all the time about her looks and and what she wore, and it was because they were fucking jealous. My God, I, it just it makes me so furious to do that to an innocent child, a beautiful innocent child. Instead right. of you know praising good qualities, they were telling her that she was a whore because she was born with. Nice features, <laughs> I guess. Huh. And um, I, I also remember the deacons in the church also kind of, when they would hug us, they would just kind of hug us and hold us a little too close, a little too tight, very Ugh. inappropriate. I also remember my youth minister one time asking me to come into a room and being alone with me and praying with me and putting his hand on my leg. You know, it's just so, so corrupt and so, like... <sighs> stupid <laughs> well on that note can i let me inject this here which we're segueing I, into to the corruption of the church and not well well and well and this is to me this clear. is this not is more like jaw-dropping that. than most stuff has been that i've that i've actually heard about this is from boingboing.net which is one of the largest blog outlets on the internet and um says investigators in, examining tapped cell phone conversations between a moroccan drug dealer and 51-year-old Father Ricardo Sepia. 
Yes, found evidence of arranged <laughs> sexual encounters with young boys, some of whom were paid for sex with cocaine. Nice. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could go on there, but I don't think anybody needs to. Um, it's yeah, such. I, a, mean, it, I mean, it's just becoming such a joke, people. Hello. Yeah. Which yeah. Oh, that that makes me so mad. I mean, it's you're not even good at what you're doing. <laughs> you religious uh, yeah. fanatics. Could you yeah. at least act a, a little bit better? Not get caught <laughs> so easily. My God. Yeah. 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 Uh, don't, just don't get caught. <laughs> oh my! Uh, I mean, uh, like, well, when you turn on the TV these days, and uh, and you see people like, um, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, er, well, Ernest Angley is long since I think out of the game. I haven't seen him on TV in a long time. He was my favorite because I just thought he was funny. Uh, but what about people like you know? Huh? Talking about evangelists? Yeah. Uh, what about people like Joel Osteen and, and people like that? Like, does that to you? Does that does that seem like the kind, the same kind of uh, of upbringing, value oriented stuff that you were exposed to, or does that seem like religion has turned a corner in a way and has become a lot more general than it than it used to be? Kind of a lot more new agey, I guess, because they they do call Joel Osteen like one of the new age preachers, that sort of thing. Like he doesn't really preach the whole fire and brimstone hell thing. He's more into if you uh, if you speak to the Lord and you uh, focus your mind and you um, it, he's all about the positivity. Uh, he really preaches a lot of positivity and a lot of giving and sharing and love and turning the other cheek, that sort of thing. I mean, do you think when you see that, does that does that do anything for you? Does that like like this is really what it means, or did you just see that as just another affront to something else? Well, I I don't know who you're talking about, but what you're saying is that he is trying to create a positive effect, and what is his his standing point? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say is is the few times that I've that I've and I've, I can't watch for any more than ten minutes. I just I can't, but. Sure. There's always you know. people that are trying to create goodness in the world. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and I respect them and and admire them greatly. Mm-hmm. Is this the guy with the big teeth and the slick back hair? Yeah, he's got a humongous church. It was his father's. Yeah. And well, you know, I remember him telling the story about how he got the church. I mean, I think his father passed away and he was left with this big church. And he wasn't a particularly religious guy. And he said, I was into the, the fancy car and the hot girls and all that kind of thing. And then, you know, essentially he just says that he found his spirituality and the church was there. And so he stepped into his father's shoes. And it's bigger than ever, of course. I mean, he sounds uh, great. he's written like that books sounds- that have been bestsellers and well, the me, church is unbelievable. Let me, let me ask you this, Taylor, because I think this is the guy that we were talking about. I think we talked about this on the show, or maybe it was just in private. I can't remember what we talked about on the show anymore. Um, but we were watching Jason, my my sublet roommate, was uh, we were watching five minutes of this guy. I think mm-hmm. um, maybe a week ago, and and Jay said, uh, "You ever notice that that these guys, that the audience, these guys don't change their inflection, they don't change the tone. These evangelists, and yet the audience knows exactly where to laugh and exactly where to applaud, uh, as if they have cued them in some way." 
And he's like, what do you think that is? You think it's just they've seen this routine so many times that they know where their emotion is supposed to go and, you know, appropriately? Yes, just like how I didn't know who you were talking about when you were making that joke, but I knew to laugh because of your inflection. I mean, that's... But you knew to laugh because of the inflection, but he doesn't give an inflection. He just goes blah, 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 monotone. And people are like, ah, ha, 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 at seemingly random spots. Um, What do you make of that? What do you... What do you think people get out of that? Out of it's not I mean that type of performance which is basically in acting terms would be phoned in. <laughs> <laughs> um they get a lot out of it. <laughs> like what, what we've been talking about. I mean is it just having somebody talk the language that they speak and therefore reconfirm that that they're all on the same good page of the good book? Yeah. Hmm. So Let's talk some good things about the church. I, I want to visit some of the churches around here, um, particularly that uh, Anglican. What it, What is the American version of Anglican? Anglican? No, what is it? Pelican? Um, Presbyterian? I don't know. I think it's Presbyterian. <laughs> Sorry, did you say Pelican? That's right. <laughs> you idiot. Oh. You know respect for our forefathers? It's a joke. Um, anyway, the church, look, there's a lot of lonely people. I'm one of them, especially right now. Like, I, I yearn for some fellowship. I yearn for people that want to conjugate and, you know, sing some songs and talk some, about some life stuff that's going on. And, um, I, I often think about joining a church and I'm not even, you know, I don't even know if I believe in God, but I I yearn for that fellowship, that community, for for people. I'm lonely. I think that makes sense. You know, I I want to interact with people. So the church does provide that, and um, there are some things you know that that I kind of agree with, like you know, don't murder anyone. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and like, I believe that, they believe that, so that's cool, we can talk about that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, no, I'm being silly, but just, but yeah, you know, the church does provide that, and the church is supposed, I mean, if you're reading the Bible and all that, I mean, it's supposed to provide this kind of place for people to go to feel good about themselves. I mean, who doesn't want that? So, I, I'm i in favor of the church. I'm not in favor of, like, bossiness and dictating people. I'm, well, I mean, I personally am. Well, you're, then you're, <laughs> I'm not in favor of the church I mean, doing it to everyone. You're, you're in favor of aspects of the church. Sure, yeah. But you can't really parse out the authoritarianism from the church. Yeah. I mean, you could, but then that would just be a bake sale. <laughs> just go to the bake sales. There's the answer. <laughs> or might I suggest this, Taylor, that uh, uh, Jeremy and I are often referred to as father. So it's the church of Paratopia. We have all the fellowship you would need right on our message board there. Oh, so, really? yes. And I promise we <laughs> will keep our. Yeah, what's, what's lonelier than a bunch of people typing at each other? <laughs> yes, and there it is. I want, and there it I is. Want- Skin. And we have, and might I say, well, we have met our listeners at at, at various events, and uh, is he recruiting? I don't know. Who knows? We we could, um, you know, uh, Jeremy and I could, could start could, a church. Yes, yes. This is what I'm thinking. 
<laughs> my hands Our Lady of Infert and Flatulence. How about that? Yeah. No, I mean. No, yeah, no, and you do actually probably for some people, and um, you know, yeah. In all seriousness, you you provide a place for people to go and talk and listen, and there's all kinds of churches everywhere. Well, I can see we've petered out here at the end. <laughs> Peter, dirty. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, I told you twenty minutes, and we've been going about an hour. So awesome. I, no, this has been great. And I can talk about all kinds of things. You need a sex therapist? Because, hello, here I am. Um, I'll be taking any kind of sex questions. <laughs> oh, God. This is going to be like the highest rated show ever. No, can we have a sex episode? Why not? Why can't there be, you know, sexual... No, because out of world experiences. I'm, of, and I'm being serious. In our line of discussion, if we had a sex episode, it would have to be about, like... Uh, Fucking aliens? Yeah, dolphin nature, something. Why? Um, well, I guess so. This is Paratopia, <laughs> right? Nerds! <laughs> oh. Cutting all of that. We're cutting that out. Don't cut it out. <laughs> Don't cut it out. People listen and they laugh. And when you make them laugh, you make them want more. You would think that, but no. We're, you know, much like a religion, We when we started this out, we thought we could make people laugh and... And that would be good. And we, we were met with resistance by self-serious, uptight, you know, b- believers in oh, uh, no. all things UFOs. Well, so. they need to get a life. <laughs> well, there's that. I need to get well, on this yeah. more. People, stop listening. Start doing. <laughs> Love, Taylor. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, more. listen, listen and do. <laughs> all right. Listen and do. On that note. Taylor Galloway, thank you very much for sharing a bit of your life and a bit of yourself with mm-hmm. uh, with our listeners. And if I offended anyone, suck it. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be a better person and to love all and respect all. Try harder. Well, you're well on your way. <laughs> oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Okay, this is Scott Crownover, and you're listening to Paratopia. Thanks. Perfect. So the Jeff. So the Jer. How did you enjoy the Taylor? I don't know. I'm still sweating. So I, I think I might need a towel. You think you could hit on her a little bit more? No. <laughs> Maybe we should make her the third host. <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> Terrible. I'm an old man. I don't have much, for fuck's sake. You're married. I know. <laughs> you have a wife. We know that. I know. I know. <laughs> I kid. I kid. No, I think that was. Uh, uh, I think that was interesting. I, I, I think she's still a little guarded about her. Um, about her upbringing, which is, I guess, is typical. It's her parents and all that, but, um, but she's certainly outspoken about how she feels about what's wrong with uh, with some of these. Uh, I don't know. What do you call it, Jeremy? Is that like? Uh, are these the different sects of the church? Is that what that is? I is think it- they're. You know, I think they call them super churches. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. I mean, um, but this sounds even different from that because I I knew a guy who was in one of them there, super churches. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't have a church. They would just meet in various places, hotels and shit. Um, yeah. But it sounds like her dad 
would go to various denominations, right? Pentecostal, right. Anglican. Um, uh, yeah, that was brought up, I think. And um, and I think she mentioned at least one other. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know what to make of that. I mean, there's got to be a lot more to his story for him to be cross denominational. Well, yeah, and that's just it. I mean, I always wonder, like, where does that, like, like where does that originate from? Like, I would think that you would have to have a pretty amazing story. Um, for people really to become engaged in it and then listen to you. Like, why would anyone listen to anyone else? You know, when, uh, I mean, I don't know for me, I mean, and I've, I don't guess that, we, that we've talked much about our own, I mean, you have, you're, you're a little bit more spiritually outward than I am, but, you know, but I believe in God and I, but I certainly don't think that I have to go to church in order to listen to a preacher in order to reach that, you know? And I hear that more and more from coworkers and friends and whatnot that they just don't they don't feel the need like let's let's get rid of the middleman type of thing is kind of the way they go, and I'm hearing that more and more from people. So maybe it's going back to Tim Leary's thing of spirituality without religion, a connection with God without the connection to the church, that sort of thing. There certainly seems to be at least in, in just my talking to other people that there seems to be a kind of a gravitation towards that which i guess is good i don't think it's good or bad i just given my experience um i think it's all of a pendulum and it doesn't matter which way you swing one Hmm. one way will end in bloodshed one way won't and so in that sense um it's there is a better than worse than scenario but Hmm. It's time to get off the pendulum, folks. <laughs> it's time to move on in our evolution, I think. Uh, are we not done with authoritarianism? Are we not done with people dictating what your afterlife is going to be or what this life is going to be for you, for that matter, outside of your parents instilling some instructions so you don't become a maniac as a child? I mean, outside of that, what more do you need, really? Well, let's just evolve already, you know? 2011, let's go. Who's with me? <laughs> I? Very yes. good. Um, <laughs> well, we could talk about this forever. Um, oh, yeah. This is a big one. Yeah. So let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, let's not. Let's not. Paratopia? <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pleasure. We've and, been uh, saved from the rapture. <laughs> yes, and from another speech about the rapture. Right. Uh, but I'm sure we will revisit this in some form. In October. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. In October. That's right. (laughs) If we have any connection at all, if not, I'll be using a hand crank radio in my home. Jeremy will be here on a weekend visit. And uh, when the power goes out, try to tune your pocket crystal resistors to 221. That's where we'll be. Uh, Well, without further ado, which seems to be the thing that I like to keep saying a lot without further ado. But this time, I mean, let's end the show. There's been a lot of ado. <laughs> a lot of ado about nothing. Uh, much ado about nothing. Isn't that the way it is? No, never mind. I'm starting to sound like right. Steinberg. Anyway, um, <laughs> can I leave that in? Sure. Okay, great. I don't care. Sweet dreams, Paratopia. Good night, all. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting loopy. <sighs> Our thanks once again to Taylor Galloway for coming on the show and sharing a bit of her life. 
very good of her, especially given that, unlike uh, most of our guests, she's got nothing to promote. So, I'd like to direct you to a website, but uh, I just simply can't. I'm sure you can find her on Facebook, though. Will she accept you as a friend? Well, she accepted me as a friend. So, (laughs) odds are. Anyway, good night.